Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. I'm going to tell you about a really exciting event that is happening tomorrow right here in the city of Detroit. I'm going to join Maria Hinojosa, who is the host of Latino USA. She's going to be in town at the Senate Theater in southwest Detroit tomorrow at 7 p.m. for a live conversation for the In the Thick podcast. You can find information and tickets at WDET.org slash events. We're going to talk about immigration. We're going to talk about the presidential contest and lots of other things. Uh, you hear that show, uh, Latino USA, right here on WDET on Saturdays and on Wednesdays. Up first today, Mayor Mike Duggan says the city is working really hard to make Detroit a more equitable place. He's focusing not only on attracting new businesses and residents, but also working for people who have stayed here in the city. Here's Duggan talking about the new Detroit Equity Council during last week's State of the City address. We're asking seven questions. One, how do we stop Detroiters from being gouged in car insurance rates? Second, do Detroiters get a real chance at our business success? Third, as new people move in, are we protecting housing affordability for those who never left? Are our children getting true education and recreation as companies return to Detroit? Who gets the jobs? In DPD, who makes up the growing police force? And as some neighborhoods come back, are others left behind? These are the questions that we're asking every day as we talk about the city that we're trying to build. But of course, the city also faces real scrutiny over past property tax over assessments, over water shutoffs, and the persistent gap between the wealthy and the middle class and the poor here in the city of Detroit. Here to talk about all of those issues is the mayor of the city of Detroit, Mike Duggan. Mike, welcome back. Well, to thanks Detroit for having me on, Stephen. It's great to have you back in the studio. Uh, so let's talk first about the Equity Council and the way that you're looking at making Detroit more equitable compared to other cities that have seen rapid gentrification in recent years. Well, it's really amazing how much conversation in this city has changed in just six years. Six years ago, anytime I was with a group of Detroiters, it's when are my streetlights coming on? The ambulance didn't come for an hour. Uh, why aren't the buses running? And it was almost a feeling of desperation on city services. The conversations now have shifted quite a bit. Businesses are coming back. People are coming back. And uh, now we have something we haven't seen in a half a century. How do you deal with growth? And the question of where do I fit in as people come back? And when I see folks prospering, do I have my fair chance? And so we spent a fair amount of time studying what happened in Washington, D.C., when uh, a lot of low-income African-Americans were pushed out by very rapid gentrification. We looked uh, at what happened in Brooklyn, uh, where longtime residents were were pushed out. And I've been to Austin and I've been to San Francisco where rising rents pushed people literally to the street in numbers that were uh, unimaginable. Uh, and so what we're sitting down and doing now is saying, all right, uh, we need to talk about how we manage growth and uh, how those who stayed are treated fairly and have every opportunity to prosper. And, and what the Equity Council is, is every is, is our leadership in the cabinet every day saying, okay, these are the decisions that we're making. Uh, are we sure uh, that they're fair? And it's amazing how many things that you don't think of 
that actually create uh, barriers to opportunities, and we're trying to address them one at a time. Yeah. Um, so how will this equity council work? Well, it's working now. So Charity Dean, our um, head of the Civil Rights and Inclusion uh, Department, is, is leading this. But I'll just give you a simple example. Every year, the city, or over time, uh, spends probably about $80 million in fuel and gas for the fleet between the police force, the fire department, the bus system, et cetera. And we go out for bid and award that contract to one individual who was Caucasian, won the bids. That was fine. Somebody looked at it and said, you have rising African-American entrepreneurs in this field. They can't win an $80 million bid because they're not big enough. What if we did three $27 million bids and split it into thirds? Uh, and when we did that, we had a Detroiter, uh, Moses Shepard, who won uh, that bid, and it turns out it, it, uh, apparently the largest African-American oil and gas contract awarded by a municipality in the country, and he's now going to other places. It wasn't that we gave him an advantage over other people. It was we created an opportunity. Or Brian McKinney, the demolition contractor who I featured in the speech, the state and feds have had rules that you have to be a contractor for five years in order to bid, which means any startup company was excluded. Well, that locked in the uh, advantage that a lot of longtime Caucasian companies had. On the city side, we allowed folks to start businesses and evaluate them and how they're doing. And his particular company, Guyanga, based in Detroit, has now done $10 million worth of work because we changed a rule to say you don't have to be in business five years. This is what Charity Dean and the Equity Council are doing, is they're looking at every single practice in every department saying... They may sound benign on their face, but when you look into them, the effect of what they're doing is denying Detroiters a real chance uh, to benefit. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to talk also about the other end of what's going on in Detroit. Uh, the people who suffered uh, these over assessments on, on their property taxes. You addressed that during the State of the City as well. And you were pretty blunt about the idea that you don't think you're going to be able to pay those people back. This is something that, of course, all of us who live here in the city of Detroit see up close. Uh, you know that I'm really involved in the neighborhood where I was born, uh, taken the house where my family lived and uh, rehabbed it and made it into a nonprofit. But of course, that brings us really close up with, with that neighborhood and the folks who live, live there. I know people on that block, for instance, who lost their homes in the last five or six years during this period of, of the over-assessments, how can you say to them that there's no relief for them, those people in particular, uh, and, and at the same time be talking about how things can be more equitable? I don't, I don't understand that. So I don't know how to be except truthful. And the over-assessment issue was a big part of why I ran for office. The city of Detroit gutted the assessment department as part of the budget cuts. And when the property values collapsed in this city in 2010, did not adjust the assessments downwards. I campaigned against that every single day in 2013. Uh, and in January of 2014, my first month in office, we cut assessments in the city 22%. And we've continued uh, to work aggressively uh, at that. And so uh, I don't have any way of defending what occurred, uh, but the lion's share of that money went to the Detroit public schools. And what I've said is, I'm just being honest, you cannot say to the Detroit public schools, pay me back the money you paid the teachers in 2011 out of that overassessment. They don't have the money. 
if they were going to get it, they'd have to do a huge property tax levy, which is how you handle judgments. If you do that, you would blow the property tax rates in this city through the roof. And so uh, I, I'm just being as, as honest as I can with folks. I don't know how to replace money that was spent six, eight, ten years ago, but I have the law department working with counsel, looking at a whole range of steps that could potentially be taken to provide uh, some kind of benefits to those who were affected. It won't be uh, the public schools writing a $300 million check, uh, but there may be advantages that we can create on things like uh, purchasing uh, land bank houses, getting back your house that you lost if the city still has it, uh, doing something on housing assistance. Those are the kinds of things we're looking at. Yeah. I mean, the idea, I think, of leveraging this incredible inventory that is in the land bank, largely because of tax foreclosures, uh, to, to try to make this right makes a lot of sense to me. In other words, why not try to, to, to make people whole uh, by getting them a new a new house, and and I know that's maybe an extreme idea, but we do that now for other people. I mean, and I think that's one of the, the things that that people are starting to notice that we go out of our way to make sure that development is happening in Detroit. We we do a lot of things to make sure that people like FCA or uh, Bedrock get the things they need to do what they're doing, I, I think people want to see that same effort leveraged on behalf of the city's poor. And so that's exactly the kind of thing that we're looking at. So, for example, um, we have a program we call buyback. Uh, but as you say, the land bank didn't take the houses. The county treasurer, up with them, yeah, right? the county treasurer foreclosed on them. They used to be at the city and we moved them over to the, to the land bank. Um, but we have three or 4,000 houses that were foreclosed on. Somebody's still in them. Uh, we haven't gone and evicted those folks. We sat down and said, if you want to buy it, in many cases they were people who owned the house and had it foreclosed, uh, you pay $1,000, put aside $100 a month for 12 months, attend the classes on, on credit score management and financial management, and at the end of a year you get a deed. We've had almost 1,000 people walk out of that program with a deed, own their property free and clear. One of the things the law department is looking at is, could we extend that program to people who moved out of the house but owned it at one time? Could we offer the same kind of thing? For Detroit employees on the auctions, we had employees, as you know, who lost health care, lost pension benefits. To help compensate them, our employees and their families can get a 50% discount when they bid on houses on the land bank auction. The law department's looking at, could we take anybody who was disadvantaged on the overassessment, give them the same 50% uh, discount? But I don't want to make it sound like they will be made whole. These, these houses, for the most part, have been abandoned for, for six or eight years. They're not. This is not handing somebody back a a house that's made whole. But uh, I, these are the kinds of things that we are looking at. And the law department is explaining, exploring every opportunity. And, and I'm working with counsel. And we're going to be able to honestly say, these are things that we can do if you were negatively impacted. And, you know, someday I'll come back as a politician who tells people what they want to hear. But uh, and say, yeah, you're going to get a check. I'll go fight in Lansing for it, knowing full well it'll never happen. That's not my political style. Uh, what I would rather do is is tell you honestly what we can do, what we can't do, and then do everything we possibly can. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I would love to see is philanthropy in this city and some of the private sector 
both of whom are investing really heavily in a lot of things in Detroit. Why not leverage some of that investment to try to fix up some of those land bank houses and give them back to the people they were taken from? I mean, that I think an effort on that kind of level is probably called for here. And so, again, those things are happening. Uh, the uh, Home Again program, Dan Gilbert has put in huge uh, amounts of money in fixing up uh, houses that uh, a renter uh, uh, may have been in where their landlord was foreclosed. We have a program at the land bank called Buyback where, again, Gilbert fronted the money uh, to do rehab. You've got a number of companies in this town that have contributed to the Affordable Housing Leverage Fund, uh, m- tens of millions of dollars. So there is money flowing into these areas. Now, the affordable housing money has gone into building affordable housing and renovating affordable housing so people aren't pushed out. So we've gone to the philanthropic community. It rates, I mean, the rest of the country writes about how uh, Detroit is supported by its philanthropic community like no place else in the country. Uh, and they have been good and will continue to uh, to push that. But I'm trying to be realistic on what we can do and, and what we can't do. And as I say, we're pushing very hard on everything we can do. Yeah. My guest is Mayor Mike Duggan of the city of Detroit. We're talking about his new Detroit Equity Council and what's going on in the city of Detroit with the gap between the wealthy and the middle class and the poor, something that has really caught people's attention in the last few years and is certainly one of the primary narratives we have going on in the city of Detroit right now. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what questions you have for the mayor. Do you think people who were overtaxed, for instance, on their property assessment should be compensated or credited somehow? Uh, Call us with your other questions about what's going on in the city. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. I've got two questions on Twitter about water shutoffs, and one of them is is particularly about coronavirus and the public health threat that that that, uh, poses to us here in Detroit and everywhere else. Water shutoffs also pose a public health threat. Uh, Both questions here are about what you are willing to do to try to stop those shutoffs. Well, we've worked dramatically to stop the shutoffs. In fact, uh, at this point, although the the narrative makes it sound like Detroiters don't pay their bills. Uh, 95% of Detroiters are paying their water bills on time, comparable to Atlanta and other cities in the country. Uh, and so if you make uh, the bills affordable, uh, residents of this city will pay. We don't want anybody's water shut off. Uh, and the programs that Gary Brown has run have been enormously effective. I don't think I've met anybody yet who talking about the issue who had gone to the water department for assistance and didn't get their water uh, turned back on. And so this should be an issue every single day, whether it's it's a health issue or not. We need water in these homes. So here's what we've done. When I started, there was a an assistance fund that was about fifty thousand dollars for the entire city. We now have three to four million dollars a year flowing into that assistance fund. If you are, uh, and you can check the rate, but it's basically making probably less than $35,000 a year on average, there's a sliding scale in there. Uh, The average water bill is $75 a month. Uh, We will cut your rate to $50 a month. 
Uh, and if you've gotten a rearage, and usually, sometimes the rearage is you didn't pay your bill, but a lot of times the rearage is a running toilet or a leaking pipe, we will forgive that rearage if you keep making your payments, and we'll come into the house and fix the leaking pipe or the running toilet, spend 1000 or $1,500 to make the repairs because we want to solve the problem, uh, not just keep pushing it down the road. And so, but we get into some of these homes and the problem isn't just water. You've got people without heat. You've got people with holes in the roof. You've got people with serious issues. And the water department is totally hooked into the social services network and Wayne Metro and the like. And we'll work with you on all the issues that you're facing. And so I would say to anybody, if you're behind in your bill, call the water department and go in. There is help there. Uh, and and they will move uh, very aggressively. Most of the shutoff issues we've seen, nobody ever called. Uh, and it's it's hard to help uh, if if you don't reach out for it. But if you reach out, the water department will be there to help you. So so I want to ask you specifically about the idea of a moratorium on shutoffs, which is something that some cities have considered, some have right. done. Philadelphia has an income-based program that's been really effective at stopping water shutoffs. Oh, have you looked at their numbers? Right. Are they, they, the data about it being effective at water shutoffs is not— You feel like it's not Again, you need to look at the data. It has not worked at all. They've got a worse record than we do. My friend— Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, announced a moratorium, and the number of people paying their water bills dropped by 20% overnight, and now you're looking at huge rate increases. So, Steve, when I started, more than a quarter of the people in this city were not paying their water bills. The average Detroiters were paying $150 a month just for those who weren't paying, and it was about to go to 300 I mean, not a month, a year, but it was about to go to $300 a year for those who weren't paying. And there's a lot of folks who are paying their bills. The $300 is a lot of money. And so we really felt like people in the city are willing to contribute for those who truly can't pay. Uh, But uh, the kind of abuse that we had uh, wasn't right. And, And you have now, I believe, one of the most effective programs in America when the water department will say, uh, it'll be $50 a month. We will forgive the back arrearages. We'll come in and fix uh, the, uh, uh, the leaky pipes in your house uh, reach out. And so I would say to folks, uh, you got two kinds of things. We, I had somebody in the other day who was listening to one of the other radio stations came in protesting, and we signed them up for the program, and they said, nobody ever talks about all of the assistance programs you have. All they do is tell us who to be mad at and who to protest with. Uh, but if you go to the Detroit Water and Sewer Department, they will help you. We don't want anybody to be shut off. And, of course, we are now at the Great Lakes Water Authority and with a vote that I think will come up next week that will significantly increase uh, the amount of assistance and allow us to go up to even higher income levels, which is, is what's intended. So we're going to keep working really hard at this. But if, if we were to do what very few cities have done is stop water shutoffs, everybody in this city, it's not like there's some, some vault of money. Uh, when somebody doesn't pay, your neighbors pay uh, because the, the residents of Detroit pay the entire bill for the system. So every time somebody doesn't pay, your neighbors pay. I think the neighbors in the city are willing to pay for those who truly need it. Having their rates soaring, you used to have 10, 15 percent water rate. Those days are gone. We have 2 percent water rate increases because those who can afford to pay uh, are paying, and we're going to try to do everything we can to help those who can't. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Let's go to Terry in Detroit. Terry. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Stephen and hey. Mr. Mayor. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Um, 
I do want to say that everyone in Detroit was affected by these um, um, inflated property tax values. So it wasn't just um, low-income residents, but our, our middle-class residents that are, were sure. in Detroit um, were affected. And I just want to say that some consideration does need to be given, and the mayor just did it for the water rates, but some consideration has to be given to the middle-class people that stayed, that have consistently paid their bills. Um, I don't know what kind of relief on the property tax issue is possible for them, but we were all affected. And some of us cashed out 401k money to stay on top of everything during those really lean years. Mm. And we took really big hits on our federal income taxes for that. And there is absolutely no discussion of any sort of relief for folks like that. Yeah. Uh, Terry, that's a great point. I'm glad you called uh, Mr. Mayor. You know, Stephen, my guess is you and I were overassessed. Sure. Uh, And so... Uh, the reality is that what she said is exactly right, uh, and uh, I wish I had a way for the uh, Detroit Public Schools to write a $300 million check, for the city to write a $200 million check, for the county to write a $100 million check for bills that were overassessed in 2010, 2011, and 2012. Uh, what I have tried to do is I wish I could, I wish I could go back to 2009 and fix it. Um, but what I did in 2014 was dramatically cut the assessments to stop it. And what I've done everything I can is to increase the services and increase your property values and hopefully uh, make you uh, proud of the fact you decided to stay. Uh, but I don't know of any way to repay folks from there without raising the property taxes on current residents. On current residents, which wouldn't be fair either. All, all you do is you'd be taxing yourself to pay yourself, and the lawyers would take a third of it. Right. Uh, so, But so, again, I think this idea of getting other resources into the equation, getting private dollars into the equation, getting philanthropic dollars into the equation specifically to deal with this problem and specifically to deal with especially those folks who lost their homes during that time. I think, you know, I was overassessed and I'm not happy about it, but, you know, I still have my house. There are a lot of people who don't. And I think that's the that's the thing that that people really feel strongly about. And right. they should. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand the feeling. I, I hear it every day. But, you know, the Detroit News wrote this story now, but I've been hearing this in 2013, 2014, 2015. This isn't a new conversation. Uh, and, you know, you had people who lost their homes not just because of property taxes, but because of mortgages that they were underwater. A whole lot of things happened together uh, in this city. Um, but I, I'm just telling you as best I can, yeah. we're going to come up with everything that we possibly can do uh, to uh, to try to give advantages to those who were disadvantaged, um, but I'm not trying to hold out hopes for checks when I just don't see yeah. any no. realistic prospect of that. Uh, let's go to Antonio quickly in Detroit. Antonio, what's on your mind? Antonio, you got to turn your radio down, Hello. man. Go ahead. Okay, cool. Yeah, let me turn it <laughs> I was ahead. just listening to the mayor, and uh, I think he's the greatest mayor in the world, doing a great job. Um, the thing is, he sound a little as if he, uh, he's saying pretty much you don't see any way where he can help. He said he's going to do everything he can do to help the people uh, regain their uh, their property back, but he said he don't see anything that he can do. That don't really sound too good on the radio. He should be saying he should bring a team together and uh, have people work on solutions. Uh, that wasn't my number one reason for calling. Okay, go ahead. I don't know if you can hear me. The number one reason is... Uh, I don't know if that's the subject of the day, but my number one reason is police interaction 
with mental health uh, crisis uh, people. Mm, right. uh, and is the mayor willing to overlook or revisit how the police interact with people going through mental health crisis? That's a great, that's a great question, Antonio. It's a great subject. Uh, of course, uh, police have been left to deal with mental health because the state doesn't deal with it anymore. But that often causes, uh, you know, tragedy to, to, to unfold. And, and it's a, a burden on the police that they're not really prepared to shoulder. Well, you've had a couple of officers uh, who were murdered by people who I think are clearly mentally ill. I don't want to get into the, the prosecutor's prosecution, but it's obvious to me they were clearly uh, mentally ill. But when you come up with some, come up to somebody on a bike uh, by themselves, you don't expect them to pull out a gun uh, and start shooting. And Chief Craig would agree with you 100%. Uh, we're really concentrating training on this uh, because the Detroit police have essentially become uh, mental health social workers. Uh, and you have to know how to talk the individuals down. You have to assess whether they're a risk to you immediately and then have to get them to uh, an appropriate uh, facility. And there are not nearly as many, as you say, Stephen, uh, as there used to be. But uh, uh, Chief Craig is, I know, getting really engaged with the mental health board uh, on the, uh, the services. Uh, but you talk to any police officer and... You know, think about what happens. If you overreact to somebody, somebody gets you on uh, Facebook Live and says you're insensitive. But if somebody's mentally ill and you react too slowly, your life could be at stake. And this is a huge issue uh, for the officers every day. Yeah. Okay, Mayor Mike Duggan, I really appreciate your coming. Next time, we got to keep you for the full hour because mm-hmm. we've got lots of other callers who will want to talk to you. So we'll get you back soon. Thanks for having me, Steve. Yeah, thanks for being here. All right, up next, we're going to talk about the wild ups and downs on Wall Street in the last few days and what they mean for your personal finances. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Mm-hmm.